Tonight we're going to look at 1 John 3, verses 4 through 10. I know some of you are new if you've been with us, though. We've been asking uh, this question, why Christ came? And we saw that He came to be a humble servant. He took on flesh and blood um, so that He could serve us. Um, He also came so that He could be born a king and so He could inaugurate the kingdom. Um, We also saw that He came to seek and to save the lost. And this last Sunday we saw that He came so that we would have life in all its fulfillment and satisfy us um, in the deepest core of our being. And tonight I want us to see that Christ came to transform our lives. Um, He came so that we would be set free from sin and Satan and so that we could live righteous, joyful lives. So, 1 John 3, verses 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as He is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that You have sent Christ in the fullness of time to redeem us from the curse of sin, to redeem us from our individual practice of sinning so that we could live lives of righteousness. Father, even now, I want to ask that You will send Your Holy Spirit. Give us understanding of what can take place when we look to Jesus Christ in faith. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. May we see yours? A number of years ago, Rob Sherman, a well-known atheist activist in the Chicagoland area, uh, made the news because he was uh, abusing one of his children. He was beating his oldest son. And ironically, he said that he was trying to instill the fear of God into his son. <laughs> now, there was a tremendous outcry in the media. Perhaps you, uh, you heard about it. They said, these atheists are hypocrites. They say they don't need God to live a Christian life. Look at how they treat their own children. What a bunch of atheists. You remember that outcry in the media? Did any of you hear that that outcry? No, Deb, you didn't hear that outcry? I didn't hear that outcry either. Um, The reason you didn't hear that outcry is because there wasn't any outcry. But should there really be any outcry? Um, Let's be honest. Atheists don't have a philosophy that claims it can radically transform our lives. In fact, as I listen to atheists, 
Um, they say, you're born this way. This is who are, you are destined to be. And actually, there's not much you can do about it. If you really listen to what they're saying, this, this is how you're born. This is how you're going to die. On the other hand, um, what happens when a well-known Christian leader, say a pastor, falls? Is there outcry? There is outcry. And you know what? There should be an outcry because when a Christian leader falls, he really is being hypocritical. He really is sinning against his beliefs. Because as Christians, what we say is like no other religion in the world that if you will look to Jesus Christ in faith, He will transform your lives. In fact, Christianity is so bold and audacious to say, if you look to Christ, you will live a different life. It's inevitable that you will live a different life. If anyone says that they've turned to Christ and put their faith in Him, and yet they live the same old, rebellious, evil, wicked life, the Bible says they really haven't turned to Christ. A number of years ago, a, a drunk staggered up to D.L. Moody and he slurred, Hey, I'm one of your disciples. And D.L. Moody looked at this drunk, staggering, slurring his words and said, You must be one of my disciples because you're not one of Jesus' disciples. What Moody was stating very clearly is, if you're just continuing on in a life of drunkenness, you're not really a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible makes it very clear that if you put your faith in Christ, you will live a different life. James 2.14 states it this way, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? And the obvious answer to that rhetorical question is no. Faith that is not followed by deeds, faith that is not followed by a change in life is not genuine saving faith. That kind of faith does not save and that kind of faith can give a person no assurance of salvation. Now, are we saying that Christians will live perfect lives? No, Christians will not live perfect lives. Are we saying that they will live different lives? Yes. We are saying that they will live different lives. Jesus came, John is telling us in this passage, to transform our lives. He came to set us free from sin and from Satan. And one of the things we need to realize is that we really do need to be set free. Um, there's a lot of talk about how we are free to live however we want, but even a cursory reading of the Bible reveals that we're not really free. In fact, if you read carefully all throughout the Bible, what we see again and again is that we are actually slaves. We are actually in bondage. And we need God to set us free. Turn back to the Gospel of John, if you will. John 8. And before we turn back to his epistle, I want us to see we really do need to be set free. Unbelievers need to be set free. And if you're a Christian and you've been set free, I want you to appreciate even more what you've been set free from. 
John 8, let me begin at verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, and this is a, a pseudo-belief. This is, not, this is not a genuine belief. He said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered Him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say that we will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly. And you know when Jesus says truly, truly, that's His way of saying, look at me. <laughs> what I'm about to say is very important here. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a what? Slave to sin. If you sin, you're a slave to sin. It has a hold of you. It has its clutches on you. So if you sin, you are a slave to sin. So if you think you're free, you're living under a delusion. You need to be set free. You're slaves. And then in John 8.39, we read, they answered Him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. And then drop down to verse 44. We won't go through the whole passage. In verse 44, Jesus says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. That's very important because in the context, the Jews are seeking to kill Jesus. He says you're a slave to sin. And he says, you think Abraham's your father? Abraham's not your father. And then he really stuns them. He says, you are of your father, the devil. The devil is a murderer. Everybody knew that. And what he's saying is, you know why you want to kill me? Because your father is the devil. He's a murderer and you're behaving just like your father, the devil. Now, I know how this sounds in sophisticated Western societies, right? To talk about being children of the devil, talk about being slaves. I know how this sounds. This, this, this sounds like fairy tales. Um, this, this sounds wacky, if you will. I remember a number of years ago, um, I, I was shopping over at Jewel, and one of the ladies that was attending our church back then, this, this was about 10 years ago, she said, you know, you made a reference to Satan Sunday. And my husband said, that's just nonsense. He doesn't, he doesn't believe in the devil. And I just thought, that's okay. I, I don't think I can convince him. Um, but later, he, he did become a Christian. Um, but I never forgot that. He, he thought it was just nonsense. Coming to church to talk about the devil and Satan and being children of the devil. Uh, but the Bible is, is very clear. We are enslaved to sin. We are enslaved to Satan. Um, that's why we live wicked lives. Um, and we need to come to terms with that. Jesus came because of this slavery. Turn back to 1 John. And we're not going to go through, through all these verses, but it divides neatly into two, two passages. In verses 4-7, through seven, we're told, that Jesus appeared. Jesus came. The first coming. He appeared so that He could take away sin. And then in verses 8-10, through 10, we're told once again that He appeared to destroy the works of the devil. 
He appeared so that He could set us free. And what, what is true freedom? Maybe we, should, we should pause right here for a moment. Um, our culture loves freedom. Our culture loves liberty. But what is true freedom? What, what is true liberty? Um, I'm not going to read it, but Josh McDowell wrote this book, The Resurrection Factor. And he said when he was a university student, before he became a Christian, he said he wanted two things. He said he wanted to be the happiest person in the world. And he said he wanted to live a life of freedom. But even as a non-Christian, he understood that freedom is more than doing whatever you want to do. He said there's a lot of people that live like that. They do whatever they want to do. But that's not true freedom. He said he wanted to be so free that he could do what you knew you should do. And, and I submit to you that true freedom is actually living a life without sin, isn't it? I mean, th- think about this for a moment. This, this is really astounding if, if you think about it. Imagine if you could wake up tomorrow and you would never struggle with sin again. Now, now it's not going to happen this side of glory. But imagine, never struggle with sin again. You wake up in the morning, anger. Is, is never an issue. You wake up, bitterness is, is never an issue. You, you were wrong ten years ago and, and you're able to, to let it go. Greed is, is no longer an issue. You wake up and you're, you're actually content. You look around your house and you think, wow, I have everything I, I need. You, you go shopping on Christmas Eve you walk through 20 stores and you think, there's, there's nothing I need. There's not even really anything I want because I'm, I'm content. I, I have everything I need. Just go, go right on down the list and eventually I would get to you, right? What you really... But imagine, you never struggle with sin again. You know what that's called? Freedom! <laughs> Is it not? Freedom! Christ came to set us free. And of course, it's going to be a process. But He came to set us free from sin. That's why He came. So that we could live joyful, happy lives of true liberty. So what's our problem? Our problem is sin. Verse 4, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. What is sin? Sin is lawlessness. And what we need to realize is sin is violating the law of God. And we need to realize that God takes sin personally because sin is against Him. We sin against a person. We sin against God. And it's serious. We, we don't think it's serious because our, our culture, you know, they, they just kind of laugh at sin, you know. Sin is enjoying, you know, hot food Sunday. Sinfully delicious. You know, we just we don't think much of sin, but we need to realize that God takes sin personally. And one of the re- reasons why we don't see how offensive sin is is because we just compare our sins to what other people are doing. We just think, well, I'm not doing too bad. You know, he's doing a little better than me over here. He's doing a little worse than me over here. You know, I'm 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 doing okay with the bell-shaped curve. This is this is what J.C. Ryle had to say about sin. He said. The very animals whose smell is most offensive to us. Maybe you think the last time you, you went to the zoo on a hot summer day, one of those enclosed buildings with all the reptiles, you know, and there was a very strong 
stench when you you walked in the house, right? Recently, we're 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 dog sitting for Tom and Tom and Brittany, and uh, the dog is not cooperating. <laughs> uh, he thinks the bathroom is downstairs in the basement, and uh, you can imagine the odor, right? That's that's what J.C. Rowe trying to communicate. He says the very animals who smell is most offensive to us have no idea that they are offensive and are not offensive to one another. And man, fallen man has no idea what a vile thing sin is in the sight of God. Because we compare ourselves to one another. But when we compare ourselves to God, all of a sudden we realize, boy, this, this is serious. And Christ came to take it away. Verse 5, You know that He appeared to take away sins. And in Him there is no sin. So He can take it away without sinning Himself. And when we talk about taking away sins, I, I think this is important. This isn't just talking about justification. Uh, let, me, let me give you just three big terms if I can. I'll define them for you, okay? Just, just real quickly, okay? Justification is where we put our faith in Christ and the penalty of sin is taken away. Okay? The penalty of sin is is taken away. And then sanctification is where the power of sin is taken away so that we don't have to sin. And then glorification when we when we finally get to heaven is when the presence of sin is taken away. And that's when we experience that true freedom and we, re, we really will wake up and we won't struggle with sin again. But the point of the passage here is on sanctification. It's the power of sin. And we know that because of the context. Because Paul goes on in verse 6 and he says, no one who abides in Him, when you put your faith in Christ, you, you abide in Him, you live in Him, and He lives in you. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. So what he's saying here is if you keep on sinning, you don't really know Him. You, you haven't seen Him with the eyes of faith because your life hasn't changed. If you know Him, if you see Him, you will live a different life. You're not going to live a perfect life, but you will live a different life. Puritan John Owen stated it this way. He said, Unbelievers run after sin while sin runs after the believer. I like that. I think that's a great picture and that's what it is. And some of us became Christians later in life and we can understand that perfectly because we ran after sin. We didn't think anything of it because that's what we wanted. We just running after sin. Now that we're Christians, Sin is running after us, and it's like we're, we're trying to get away. It's like get away from. It's like it pursues us, right? Have you ever found that out? It just it just comes out. Have you had that experience? And you're like get, get away from me, and it just keeps coming after you, right? And you're you're fighting it, right? How many of you you hate that? It comes after you, and you have to fight it, right? How many How many of you hate it? But you know what? Let me be encouraged by this. If you're, if you're fighting it, if you hate that's a sign that you're a Christian. That's a sign that you're a Christian. You don't want to give in to sin. 
You don't want to live that way. You want to live a life that, that pleases God. So if you're involved in the fight, at least take courage. That's a sign that you're a Christian because unbelievers aren't, aren't fighting. They're not bothered by it. Matter of fact, they enjoy giving in. Sin comes their way and they say, Uncle, you win. No, no fighting here. But Christians, they, they fight. They hate it because they want to live differently. They want to live righteous lives. Why is that? Verse 9 fascinating. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in Him. You know why there's a fight? Because God's seed is in you. Which very simply means God's nature is in you. The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, right? And the Holy Spirit not only convicts you of sin, but the Holy Spirit also says, you want to get away from that. Run faster! Run faster! You can outrun sin. You can fight it off. God's seed is in us. God's person, the third person of the Trinity, abides within us so that we are set free from sin and we are set free from the devil so that now we really can grow in righteousness and holiness and our whole lives can be radically transformed. Let me just close with this story. And uh, these stories are great. I read stories like this all the time. Uh, just to remind myself, to remind myself of how God transforms people through the gospel. Uh, we sometimes forget that anybody can be transformed. You know, this holiday season, we might think someone in our family, you know, like, oh boy, they're never going to change. Don't ever say that. Nobody is beyond the reach of God. Anybody can be transformed. And I mean transformed. Not just saved, but I mean transformed so that instead of going in this direction, they're now going in that direction. It can happen to anybody at any moment. All God has to say is open your blind eyes, take His seat and plant it in that person. And in a moment, just like that, they can be transformed. And you know God can do that because He's done it to you. He's done it to you. Some of us know where we would be without Christ. I remember years ago when I was part of uh, Korean church before I came here, we used to go to Baker Square after Bible study and we would sit around the table. And I remember one evening, I, I asked people this, this question just for fun. I said, if you weren't, if you weren't a Christian, what, what kind of life do you think you would be living right now? And it was fascinating as we, as we went around the table, you know, and I remember one woman saying, yeah, I think I'd be an animal rights activist. You know, I think I would be rescuing dogs and... You know, just kind of, oh, okay. And it's just, you know, just kind of going around the room and some of it was weird, you know, and some of it, you know, was obvious stuff. You know, I'd be, I'd be partying or, you know, I'd be trying to be as rich as I could. And, you know, we just, it was great just, just to go around the table and say, I'd be living very differently if God hadn't gotten a hold of me and I, I hadn't turned, turned to Christ. But in a moment, uh, God opened our eyes and our lives were changed and, not, and now we're living different lives and it can happen at any moment. This, this is from uh, Ravi Zacharias' book, uh, Deliver Us From Evil. This is what he says. Many years ago when I was speaking in Boston, at the end of a particular message, one of the first persons to respond to the gospel invitation was a young woman. 
I saw her kneel down and be counseled by one of the pastors on staff. When he had finished, he brought her to meet me and handed me the card that she had filled out expressing her desired commitment to Christ. In complete shock to me, I noticed that under the section marked profession, she had filled out prostitutes. My expression must have betrayed my surprise, for as I looked at her, she said, it is true, and I am sorry. In fact, I was on my way to the street. I walk every night, feeling so dirty inside, but so helpless. I just saw the sign outside this church saying you were talking on the theme of the new life. I wanted it so badly. God has spoken to me tonight, sir. I leave this place a new woman. Isn't that great? Came in the church, heard a message, walked out a completely different person because the seed of God was planted within her and she was set free from sin and Satan. And Robbie Zacharias says this, In this one life, think of the evil that was stemmed from that night on. I thought, that's great. Just think of you going totally new direction. That's why Christ came. So that sinners like you and me could go in a totally different direction. We could experience new life. We could experience freedom and joy. That's why Jesus came from heaven to earth. He may accept us, whoever we are. You know, we don't have to clean ourselves up. I, I, I remember I thought I had to clean myself up before I first became a Christian. I thought I got to get my act together. If I tried to get my act together, I couldn't get my act together. And I finally just, I just basically said, I won't go into the dirty details, but I basically said, Lord, I can't get my act together. And, and I didn't hear an audible voice, but basically he said, I know. But I'll change you, and and he and he did, and he can do that for anybody who will just turn to him. My prayer is that all of us would would turn to him and just say, "Lord, change me, change me." Don't you want a fulfilled life? Don't you want to experience true freedom? That's what Christmas is all about. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that You didn't abandon us in our sin. You could have. You could have punished us and said, that's what your sin deserves, but You didn't. You loved us. You sent Christ to die for us. Thank You that You transform us. Father, I pray that we will all look to Christ in faith. And thank You that You who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. May we grow more and more in righteousness and holiness and may we more and more enjoy the freedom that You have for us as You transform us into the image of Your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.